we wandered through the building and we went into the office and I had a lot of deja vu because I went to an elementary school in Canada that was just like this and I can remember in eighth grade my classroom was beside the principal's office and regularly we would hear kids getting the strap <laughs> those of you of my era remember that uh, and kids would scream and cry and we knew that they were in big trouble I, 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 I hope this doesn't upset anybody but I remember the day when literally the principal went out into the into the into the uh, 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 playground with the strap in his hand and he said the next kid's out of order you're getting it uh we've we've come a long way baby haven't we <laughs> but when i walked by that office down there oh i was frightened to death <laughs> and to think i get to preach here today Whew. <laughs> no wonder i'm scared still <laughs> well i am delighted to be here and it's such fun to see how god has worked and brought this building into the hands of the gospel. So uh, from uh, uh, the discipline of, uh, well, anyways, we won't go there. Now we're under uh, the the good news of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I, I just so appreciate Doug and Eric and what they're doing and the core team. Uh, you're, you're all part of the core team. I had the privilege of being with a smaller part of the core team that met with uh, the representative from this thing called Alliance Development Fund, uh, from which we borrowed what, $340,000 to get in here, and now the space is too small, and uh, so Eric is worrying about what on earth is going to happen when you really launch uh, at the end of August, so uh, if the walls of Jericho could come down with seven times around, we'll just have to pray seven times around the wall here, and down it goes, or we got to have a sprinkler system, well, (laughs) we'll pray for, for rains from heaven at that point as well. But it really is uh, a delight to see what God uh, is is doing. And and just quickly, my title actually has another word in front of it after all of what you just said, something called interim. And so I had been a long-term district superintendent in a part of America uh, uh, called Eastern Pennsylvania. And uh, then because of a, of a health situation, uh, the, the CMA brought me out here uh, to serve, and I will conclude at the end of uh, July. But I have come to love you guys. I, I tell you, I don't want to leave. I mean, this is not fair. But uh, it's been such a, a real, real uh, delight uh, to be with you. So thanks for praying for me, man. And uh, if you still have your Bible with you, I'd love you to keep it open because we're just going to work our way through this text. This is a great text. Uh, Eric uh, makes it sound like I'm old. Uh, And I guess I, I am old because it was 30 years ago that I had the privilege of planning a church. And I want to tell you what a great gig that was. I also, in my ministry journey, uh, tried to revive an existing church. Any day, I would rather start than try to raise the dead. It is deadly to raise the dead, I can assure you of that. But you know what's so cool about church planting? You get to do things right. Right? (laughs) You get to do things right. You don't have to go around fixing up somebody else's messes. You really do have the privilege of laying a good, solid foundation of, of starting right. 
And it's exactly where you are as a church right now. And, and I really say this to you, to you sincerely this morning. It's a privilege, but it's also a challenge. <laughs> and so here we are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I, I don't know how God put this together, but I think it's really cool because this to me is a phenomenal text for laying a firm, right foundation in starting a church. So here's how it works. Here's how it works. Verses 1 through 4 are God's map in how to live together. Okay? So God's map in terms of how to live together. And then verses 5 through 11 are God's means for actually doing it. So does, does that easy enough? Map and means. Map and means. All right? That hang together for If you go home with nothing else, just remember map and means. So, here's the truth. And I've been a district superintendent for almost 13 years, so I can tell you this from first-hand experience. Church is messy. Church is messy. Being the body of Christ, the people of God, living together in close proximity is impossible. It's impossible. John Maxwell uh, was a pastor for 25 years, and now he's a leader in the corporate world. And so he relates the story of the fact that over those 25 years of being a pastor, numbers of people would leave his church. Now, that might surprise you, but it was true. So whenever possible, uh, John would try and sit down with those folks who were leaving, and he would ask them this question. Can you share with me why you're leaving the church? He wasn't offended. You know, he didn't do it in an accusatory way. He just said, hey, I'd love to know why you're, you're, you're planning to leave our church. Do you know what the overwhelming response was? Conflict. Conflict. That was the overwhelming response. Frankly, as John Maxwell writes about it in one of his books, he says, they just couldn't get along. And he says, you know, sometimes the problem was with him. Sometimes it was with another member of his staff. Sometimes, God forbid, it was actually the other people in the church they couldn't get along with. And after hearing their story, Maxwell would often surprise them. He'd look across the table while they were having a cup of Earl Grey tea. Hey, you from Irma? You like your Earl Grey tea? <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like an honest to good, goodness Brit, doesn't he? If he likes his Earl Grey tea. <laughs> well, he would look across the table. <laughs> he would look across the table while they were sipping their Earl Grey tea. No, no, they were having their, their, their coffee. And he would say to them, I don't blame you for wanting to leave the church. As a matter of fact, if I weren't the pastor, I'd leave too. <laughs> That hurts. <laughs> that hurts. But here's the truth. Church is made up of people. And getting along with people is, quite frankly, challenging. Uh, any of you who are, you know, older than 30 will remember the little old thing, you know, we did as kids, you know. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. And here are the people, Right? I'm not as old as I thought. No. <laughs> Some of you are older than I thought. No people, guess what? No church. <laughs> 
No people, no church. The word church is actually based on a Greek word that quite literally means uh, the assembled or, or the gathered. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll throw this at Doug and, and Eric. Uh, try having a church with just chairs. <laughs> it ain't a pretty sight, guys, right? I mean, get up here on Sunday morning and preach to chairs. See how much activity they will ever engage. So how do we do it? How do we do it, city like Council Bluffs? How do we function together as a body? And what Philippians chapter 2 here and verses 1 through 11 reminds us is that we have a common life. A common life. And so here goes then, common life in uncommon times. All right? We've always lived in uncommon times. If you think it's bad today, read history and you discover how bad it once was. You know, you think politics is really ugly today? You don't feel like you have anybody to elect the President of the United States because nobody's worthy of, of putting your ex, whatever? And look at the past. I mean, it was worse. Well, maybe they thought it was worse. <laughs> I'm not so sure. But the truth is, friends, we've always lived in uncommon times, and yet God calls us to this thing called common life. So, let's look again at verses 1 and 2 here of Philippians chapter 2, and and I'm going to ask you a question. You don't get to say this out loud, but what stands out about verses 1 and 2? Listen listen again, or, or, or please look if you have a Bible with you. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You know what stands out for me there is the idea of sameness. Sameness. You know, they say, by the way, do you ever know who it is that is the so-called experts that they say? And forever people are telling me, they say such and such and so and so. Well, anyways, whoever they are, they say that after a long period of time, couples actually begin to look like one another. Now, I can't say that I've ever noticed that, but that's what they say. Now, I don't know about you, but sameness to me is boring. I mean, frankly, I like the fact that my wife and I don't always agree. Now, it's ugly when it gets to, well, we won't go there, but, but the, the truth is, I like variety. Do you like variety? It's the spice of life. I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, and if church life is about sameness, check me out. I'm not interested if it's about boring sameness. So let's look back very briefly at these first two verses. Zero in on sameness in the body of Christ. And verse 1 declares that we are united with Christ. You see, we were built... We were built to be the same as Jesus. I love the fact that Paul says here, we're united with him. We're one with him. Now, 
I don't know about you this morning, but for me, that's hardly boring. I mean, wouldn't you like to get united with, with Jesus? Think of the adventures that Jesus had in his brief 33 years. Dude, I would like to have been there when some of those incredible miracles took place. I would have loved to have been there when, when the dead were raised. I would have loved to have been there when he spent time with wounded and weary and worn out people. I mean, sign up with Jesus. Your life will not be boring in any way whatsoever. So sameness in the body of Christ is, is built upon this concept that we are united with Christ. And then sameness in the church is that we're, we're like-minded. We, we have, the text says here, the same love. We, we're, we're one in spirit. We're, we're one in, in, in purpose. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at those concepts here in this text, I think to myself, wow, wow, that's pretty lofty. That's kind of noble-sounding stuff. But it's not bland. It's not boring. I mean, let, let's unpack just for a brief moment this aspect of sameness. You know, the truth is, we don't all dress the same. Um, I mean, there's some of you here this morning with blue jeans. And then you got Eric with shorts who needed to shave his legs, but we won't go there. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, 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 some, some, some ladies, uh, you know, who are dressed in, in, in nice dresses and some dressed, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in different kinds of ways. I mean, we, the, the, the truth is, we don't all dress the same, right? We, we don't all wear our hair the same. Some of you are saying, thank God I don't wear my hair the way he does. We don't all listen to the same music, Eric. <laughs> we don't all like the same sports, right? I guess the poor Cleveland fans are dying and hoping and praying something's going to miraculously occur this evening, right? But we have, my friends, we have the same love of God dwelling in our lives. You may not look like one another. You may not exactly think like one another. You don't cheer for the same sports teams. But if you know Jesus today, you have the same love of God dwelling in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And as a result, we're one in spirit and purpose. Now, now listen, you know, I mean, there, there are some things about the local church that I don't like. Can I tell you something? I go to some of our churches and they do this in the middle of the service thing where you greet one another. I mean, I think that's lame. I just, I mean, like, I, I hope I offended somebody this morning by saying that. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, like, you know, you greet one another and then afterwards you walk out and you don't even say hello to anybody. Like, that's, that's, in my opinion, it's lame. Uh, uh, I mean, I... I don't. I prefer personally more traditional songs to really contemporary songs. But do you know what? Those are just preferences. They're opinions. There are people who love to greet one another on Sunday morning during that time in the service. They kiss one another. Somebody kisses me. I'm going to. No, I. <laughs> the only one who has permission to kiss me is my wife. <laughs> You know what God calls me 
toward, just like he calls you toward, is sameness, not in preference, but sameness in the oneness of spirit and purpose. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that I've been a long-term district superintendent. You may want to pray for me. But in my ministry, I have blessed all sorts of churches, including in eastern Pennsylvania, two that started in coffee shops. And by the way, I blessed churches that were quiet and churches that were loud. I didn't care, frankly, what the style was. What I cared was, is Jesus in the midst? Amen? I wanted to know, are these guys committed to being of one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and to one purpose, the glory of God through the gospel? That's all that mattered to me. The other stuff is is window dressing. So sameness, friends, is not bland. It's beautiful. It's not uniformity that God calls us towards. It's unity. And in our strength, left to our own devices, the truth is, it's impossible. So, common life in uncommon times not only includes sameness, but society. Society. So, if church is people, it is fundamentally built around what? Relationships. Does that make sense? Two people, do you know what you have? Two opinions. Three people, you have three opinions. A committee, you have chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you, you, you've been there, done that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so I want to ask you this question. How is this society thing even remotely possible? Look at verse 3 now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. We have two related principles here that are impossible to live out. See others as more important than you and don't do anything from selfish gain. I don't know what your reaction is this morning, but my reaction is Paul. Come on. Paul was the writer of the the, the book of Philippians. Paul, you've got to be kidding. Ever watch two kids in a park? How about two adults at Black Friday sales? So this past Tuesday afternoon, I take my two grandkids to the park. Two and a half and five years of age. And the two and a half year old, by the way, would tell you, I'm two and a half, he will say. So, they're the only two kids in the park. Uh, And grandpa. And what do they have to do? They have to fight over who goes down the slide first. For goodness sakes, there's two slides. (laughs) The youngest, the boy, by the way, punched his sister because she butted in front of him. Come on, kids, I'm thinking, and I'm saying, give me a break. Who cares who goes first? (laughs) Really? Selfish gain and self-importance. You know the truth, friends. It's inbred in us from the moment we take our first breath. We scratch, we claw, 
we climb, and the results are always the same, disastrous. And now Paul comes along, and he has the audacity to call us to something utterly radical, completely different. Look again at verse 3. I, I read verse 3 and I want to laugh. I, I want to I I have a phone conversation or a, or a texting, do, do texting or Facebook messaging with the Apostle Paul right now, and I want to say, hey, dude, uh, can we have a little conversation here, buddy? Were you ever around a church? <laughs> I mean, come, come around. Any of you had any church experience? Come around to church for a little while. People in churches want to be honored for what they do. They want priority to sing their songs. They want to give announcements. They want to run their favorite program. Nothing will drive a poor pastor crazier in a church. And it happened to me as a church planter. I wasn't planning a church more than three weeks and I already had people coming to me and say, hey, my favorite preacher is so-and-so. This is the series you should be doing. My favorite program is such-and-such. This is the one you should be doing. Oh, man, drive you crazy. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And so common life in uncommon times involves the impossibility of sameness, society, and then, verse 4, selflessness. Verse 4, look at it for a moment again. Let each of you look not only to his what? Own interests, but also to the interests of others. Being the church, living together as the body of Christ requires selflessness. Yeah, thank you. Don't just look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. I I love the realist element of the Bible. You know, the Bible is not filled with superheroes who do everything perfectly. It's actually filled with flawed people who it seems sometimes only occasionally do anything perfectly. Uh, some years ago, I, I had the opportunity to converse with a, with a fellow who had come from a, a Hindu background. And he said to me, he said, Wayne, the first time I read the Bible, I thought to myself, that's got to be right. Because in, in, in our holy books, the, 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 the Bhagavad Gita, everybody's perfect. Everybody's a superhero. And so I read the Bible, I find out, you know, Abraham's a liar, Jacob's a cheat, David's an adulterer. I go to myself, this is real. This has got to be the, 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 the truth. This has got to be the right way because these people are, uh, frankly, just like us. You see, in real life, in real settings, people look out for number one. And you, you, you know what I'm talking about, because you do as well. I mean, who else is going to look out for us if we don't look out for ourselves? Forty years ago, I was the first student theater manager at the studio theater in the college that I went to. That tells you a little bit how old I am. I can't tell you how shocked I was at the pettiness of the academics I had to work with. They were all prima donnas. They were only concerned, it seemed to me, about themselves 
and the only one they looked out for was number one. Now watch this carefully. What the Bible calls us not to be is exactly who we are. Will you grab that for a moment? What the Bible calls us not to be is exactly who we are. I mean, why did Paul have to write to the Philippians not to look out for their own interests? Because that's what they were doing. Does that make sense? That's what they were doing. And it's what you... Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's what I naturally do. I don't know about you. (laughs) I presided last Saturday over my niece's wedding uh, in, in Canada. My granddaughter was actually the flower girl. Do you know what caught my attention as the bridesmaids were coming down the aisle? Not the bridesmaids, my granddaughter. She was beautiful. She was much more, much more good looking than any of the bridesmaids. She's my granddaughter, by the way. I I did tell you that, right? I mean, uh, I'm I'm just being truthful with you. I could have cared less what the bridesmaids looked like. I had eyes only for my granddaughter because she is after, I did tell you, right? She is my granddaughter. So here you are at City Light Council Bluffs. Great opportunity to start. Wow. What a great opportunity to get it right. Do it right. Live it out. And the truth is, please stop. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Sameness, society, selflessness. Come on, get real. It's a complete impossibility except one thing, Jesus. Except one thing, Jesus. I love the way you started this morning when you talked about those four values. It's the place to start, Eric. Dead on. Paul knew that this common life in in uncommon times was impossible. So he offered the believers at Philippi God's solution. So we're going to quickly look at God's solution. Who you are in Christ. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. I call this mindset. So, What's your mindset? We've just read four verses, verses 1 through 4, that reflect on a mindset that is what? Me first. Did you catch that? What Paul is writing in contrast to giving a correction toward is a mindset that I was born with, you were born with, that is me first. Verse 5 calls us to mind shift. An attitude, it says, that is the same as that of Christ Jesus. Model, method, means. In communal life, we have a disposition which is in character with our profession of faith. Bottom line, here it is. Watch this. You claim, many of you claim, and if you don't yet claim this, I trust you will soon, You claim to know Jesus Christ, to love him. Certainly this was true of the Philippian church that Paul is writing to. 
He then dwells in you, Paul says, and your attitude should be the same as his. Did you catch that? He dwells in you, therefore your attitude should be the same as his. Council Bluff. City Light. Council Bluffs. Your part, as Eric reminded us a few minutes ago, of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We are rooted in Christ, and we're being built up into Him. And as a family of 2,000 churches across America, we share together a focus on getting the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. To do this, quite frankly, requires a mindset, knowing who we are in Christ. And who are we? Look look at verses 6 through 8. Who are we? Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be, watch this, grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, watch that there, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, who are we? Here's the gospel. This is the the essence of the gospel. The good news which gives you and I freedom from sin and fullness of life. So God's solution then to the challenges of the common life is simply found in what Christ did. What Christ did. He humbled himself. If you're writing some notes today, write that down there if you, if you would. He humbled himself. Here he was, God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, and, and you know what he did? He took on you. He took on you, and it was not just an illusion. This was not some figment of someone's imagination. He took on very you, and he became obedient to God the Father, and the Bible says he dies on a cross. That's your example. That's exactly how you live in community. You humble yourself. You die to self. You make yourself nothing. And you say, well, Wayne, is it possible? Yes. Jesus did it, and he lives in you to do it through your life. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that I was originally from the country of Canada. Now, this is a stereotype of Canadians, and that is that we all love the game of hockey. I don't think it's true of everyone in Canada, but it certainly was true of me as a kid. So growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a goaltender in the NHL. Now, stop laughing, because I know you look at me and you say, the pucks would go right through you, buddy. Who are you kidding? My my sister, who is now uh, 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 deceased, she said to me one day, she said, you'll be nothing more than a goaltender in the Inch Park Diaper League. I really felt good after she told me that. But anyways, as a little boy, I read about my favorite goaltender. He wrote a book on how to be a goaltender. I would get into bed at night, pull the sheets over, over me, and put on the flashlight, and I would read the book. And then the next day, I would go out and try the moves that he did, and the pucks went right through me. It never worked. And I remember thinking to myself one day, if only my favorite goaltender's name was Jacques Plante. You don't care about that, but that was his name. I thought, if only Jacques Plante could come and live inside of me, I could read the book, and then he would make all the moves through me. 
And you know what I just described? Is exactly what you have in Jesus Christ. You have the book. You have the directions. You have the instructions. You have everything you need for life both now and for all eternity. And the great news this morning is you have Jesus Christ where? In us. Come on. Amen. Right. You have Jesus Christ dwelling within you. The miracle is possible. So we see what Christ did. What He did, He can do through you and in your life. And so now the solution to the mess that church can be if left to our own devices, is what God did. What God did. Look at verse 9. What God did. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, what? The name that is above every name. Friends, God exalted Jesus Christ. We push and shove. We press and pull. We strive and struggle to do what? Promote ourselves to get our own way. But God's solution is so readily available to us. Humble yourself. And in due season, in the right time, at the right moment, guess what God will do? He will lift us up. So for a number of years, I had the responsibility of overseeing the family camp in eastern Pennsylvania. There was a young man who came to me, I think it was the second family camp, and he said, I'm a great guitarist, and I'd like to sing a solo during one of the services. And I remember looking at him and thinking, who are you? <laughs> like, where did you come from? <laughs> and, and I mean, I said, well, the program's already been lined out. I'll pray about it. I knew I wasn't going to let him do it, but I said I would pray about it nevertheless. <laughs> second year at family camp or third year, whatever it was, he comes to me again. I'm a great guitarist. I got a solo I need to sing. Uh, My response was the same. But you know something? In due season, God got hold of that guy, and today he's actually the pastor of a church in eastern Pennsylvania that God is using for his glory. But there had to be a whole lot of humbling in his life before God could ever use him for his glory. God will lift us up at the right time. He will exalt us at the right time in accordance with his will and his purpose. So instead of clawing your way to the top, crawl into the arms of Jesus. Instead of pushing the envelope, pray God will do His work. Instead of promoting yourself, place your confidence in the One who can really raise you up. And then you say, well, Wayne, what difference does this all make? You know what the difference is, friends? I love this. Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos. You say, the what? Well, look at verse 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know they say in the work world, be careful who you tie your wagon to. You know, how many of us have had the experience of tying our wagon to, some, uh, to, a, to a wagon that was going nowhere? One of the reasons that you and I press and push and we strive and we shove is because people have let us down. The one who said he would remember us 
forgets us. I remember how put out my father was some years ago at the time when my grandfather died because there was someone who came to the, the service and got talking to my, my dad. And his memory of my grandfather was that he was a guy who could fix sewing machines. And what put my dad out was the fact that my grandfather had actually retired as the manager of the entire plant. But his focus was on the fact that my grandfather could fix sewing machines. You know, that kind of thing makes us wary of trusting other people because people have selective memories and they tend to put things in their own categories. But I want to encourage you this morning. What I just described that's true of us as human beings is not true of our God. No, our God exalts Jesus Christ because He is the Lord of the cosmos. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I may have trouble trusting you. You're going to let me down. You're going to fail me. You're going to fail one another. This church will not be very old before you're going to have elements of distrust of one another. It is inevitable. I'm not the prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but I can tell you it will happen. But I want to tell you, friends, this afternoon, or this morning, I don't know why I zipped to this afternoon, but anyways, this morning, is that you can trust God. You can trust God. You see, the bottom line is that common life is possible in uncommon times. Because you see, we, we don't promote ourselves. We don't lift ourselves up. We don't advance our cause. No, we trust in the living God. I love the scriptures that says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. We trust in the one whose son was humbled and in due season, he was lifted up. So City Light Council Bluffs, can you do it? Can you live this common life that's described in verses 1 through 4? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. In your own strength, no, you can't. Did you catch that? In your own strength, no, you can't. Living a common life in uncommon times is only possible through an uncommon Savior and a Lord. And His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Maybe you're here this morning and as I've been sharing, you're saying, you know, He's talking about Jesus Christ and I've heard His name I've read about him in in, in the Bible, but I'm not sure I really know him today. I'd invite you. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. Would you put your trust in him? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, "I, I know Jesus. But you know that life that's described in the negative in verses 1 through 4. I, I've been there. I, I've done that. I've been part of that. And today I, I, I'd like to be transformed. Today I'd like to begin a journey that I wouldn't be part of that kind of, of life at City Light Council Bluffs. i got great news for you this morning. Jesus is able. Will you put your trust in Him? 
Not just trust for the first time. Not just trust in order to experience Him as Savior. But trust to experience His transformation in your life. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for those who believe. Those of us who are willing to say, we'll trust in Him and not in ourselves. The invitation for you today is to trust in Him. To trust in Him with all of your life. And here's the reality. Here's the reality as I'll turn the service to to Doug. You have a great privilege as a church to live the common life in uncommon times. But as you live this life, you're going to bump up against one another you're going to discover that some like Earl Grey and others go, my goodness gracious, who would drink Earl Grey? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's simple, by the way, in comparison to some of the other things you're going to bump up against one another. But as you do, as you do, the great news is you have the gospel of Jesus Christ to grab onto, to be transformed by, and it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. God bless you. God bless you. Press in. Not to yourselves, but press into Jesus. Thank you, man.